0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org.
1: We're uh, we're talking about divine invitation. I want to introduce you to the invitation that is the overwhelming theme that we will see in the Gospel of Mark. And as I was kind of reflecting back back there as uh, uh, Ed was talking about Jesse and the family, and, uh, and, and then we got the Adams family. I mean, all, all these different moments in time, you know, that we go back to. Like, there's a lot of faces in here. I see Tim here. I've known him ever since I got here. Uh, you know, there's these moments in time that we have. And I want to talk today about the difference between time and an era. You know, there is a moment in time that maybe we call an event and then there is a, an era of time that we enter into, that usually there is a, an event that is the catalyst for that, that era in time. Uh, you know, I can think, I was looking at all the faces of the kids, you know, Jace, Jensen, Joni, and, you know, I, I was there for nearly every momentous, you know, birth for that matter, and then for Cam and Coco and Amelia, you know, pictures show up on my phone, you know, at random times of the year. You know, it's like Google and Facebook, I don't know how they do it, but they're always tagging me with stuff, and I don't, I don't know. But you can't get those, those moments out of your mind, and they lead into an era of your life. I was explaining to my son, we were talking about uh, 9-11, and for me, that's a very... Uh, momentous time in my life, not a good one, but the, the world changed for me that day because of that event. And basically I entered into a, a new world. Whereas my son, who's 2021, 20, uh, I just declared I don't know how old my son is, that's okay. But <laughs> as you know, he he was born but he didn't know, you know, that event. That event really is historical for him, whereas it's historic for me. And so I want to look in Scripture and take a look at this, uh, this era of God, the kingdom of God. You've heard it said the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God has come. Oftentimes, myself included, we uh, except when we say the kingdom of God has come, I, I kind of have a an image of an event that would take place. I have a, a, a image of, okay, the kingdom of God is going to come in and I want to be ready. You know, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want to make sure I'm on my knees at that moment. I want to make sure I am you know, absolutely prepared. I want to make sure all my friends have come to know, you know, the Lord, anybody I've come across with. But then as we look at the Scripture, it's a little bit different than that because the announcement was an event that took place, and now we live in the era of the kingdom of God And I want to flesh that out today, that we could see that, the difference in that. And it's a major uh, difference. I talk a lot. uh, A lot of people consider church an event. And if church were an event, then uh, the church would have ceased uh, during the height of what was the pandemic. Because we weren't in the building. And it became very clear at that moment that the church is not about an event on Sunday morning. The church is the church. The church is an era. The kingdom of God is here, and we are the church. This is almost the, we talk about tonight at 630, do not miss that, where we send the hardies. This is the weekly weekly start of our week where we send us, into church, you know, to kind of use a play on words. It's like th- this is the moment that prepares us to be about the business of the kingdom of God. We're celebrating the kingdom of God right now. We're talking about it. We're praising him. We're worshiping him. We're learning. We're encouraging each other. But when we walk out of those doors in 20 minutes or 25 minutes or depending on how I, long I talk, you know, uh, we enter into the service of the kingdom of God, and that's what we are uh, all about. And then there's this divine invitation that we get in in the gospel of Mark that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so we have this invitation to join him. And that invitation comes with two imperatives that we'll talk about at the very end, we don't hear a lot of sermon series or or sermons on Mark. We usually go to, to Matthew or to Luke or to John, and and kind of the reason is is Mark is a little bit more scattered. Uh, it, it's not as orderly as we want it to be. It uh, it's it's been said by scholars. Most will believe that that it's a moment that uh, that actually Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark is really writing down the stories as related to him from the apostle Peter. Uh, It's easy even to confuse, not to make it confusing. It's easy to confuse Mark as an apostle, where really he was a disciple of Christ, but he was not one of the 12. Uh, And so he was a companion of Peter, who was an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent. A disciple is one who is a learner. And, And Mark Uh, chronicles these things from Peter, we believe. And what's interesting about that is Peter makes a lot of mistakes in Scripture, specifically in the Gospel of Mark. And it makes the Gospel of Mark even more intriguing because you have Peter's story, the companion of Peter, are revealing basically all the dirt, all the mud, everything of Peter. And I've said it multiple times, if you've been around me, if I would have written scripture, I would have looked great. I would have never have shown all the things that I did terribly, you know, but Peter, we know him as the loudmouth. We know him as the one that flies off the handle and we know him as that guy, but yet scripture lines it all out. And Peter wanted us to see that John or Mark wanted us to see that John Mark to be able to point to uh, Jesus. Now, Mark is this companion of Peter. And so we get these stories uh, from uh, Mark. So here's the takeaway of the gospel of Mark that I want you to look at today. The kingdom of God has come and an invitation has been extended. The kingdom of God has come and the invitation has been extended. What I want to do to kind of get the... uh, the grasp of this theme in Mark is I want to go down to verse or chapter 12. And so if you would, in, in your Bible or on your device, if you'll go to Matthew or Mark chapter 12, and we're going to come back and we're going to finish in Mark chapter one, but kind of hang out there for a bit. And I want to show you some stuff. And we're going to get down to the, to the basics of this invitation. And when, when you think of this invitation, I want you to understand the difference between, and this is going back to that concept I was talking about between an event and an era uh, would be a invitation. It, let me ask you this question. This might clear it up. How many of you in here have ever paid for a wedding? Not been in a wedding, paid for a wedding. Okay. few grumpy people. And, uh, the, and let, let me narrow it down a little bit more. And, and I know my wife is starting to say, where's he going? I don't like it. But, uh, A man who has paid for, usually the man who has paid for the wedding along with his spouse, we kind of see some things that you just kind of go, well, I'm not sure that was necessary. (laughs) And I, I pegged it down to one thing, and it's called save the date. You see, postage is expensive. That Evite stuff is free, but you can't do that for a wedding. Okay, It has to be old school postage, old school printed, all that. And so you're, you're developing that price, you're putting in the budget, and then someone comes along and says, oh, well, we need to tell people before the wedding that they need to save the date. Well, let's just call them and tell them. No, that has to be formal. We need to pay for that. So, okay, now I've went too far, and so I'm going to rail it in a little bit. But uh, the, the purpose of a save the date is to tell someone that a future thing is coming. It's a good thing. People clear their calendars. But but then the invitation comes, and then that's the official invitation for the event. I propose to you that we sometimes think of the kingdom of God being at hand or being near as a save the date. And I want to encourage you to think of it not as a save the date, but something that has already happened, an era that we are currently living in. And now to understand this, skip with me to chapter 12. Verse 13 says this. It says, Later the leader sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. And so the bottom line here, just the setup, is, is that Jesus, the spiritual leaders, the, the, the teachers of the law, they are right now, they are going to try and trick Jesus and get him to say some things that will get him arrested. And so that is the goal of the conversation. And they go into marriage in heaven. They go into different things. But then something happens at the very end, and it's important. Go to verse 28 of chapter 12. And I want to highlight to you something that I have never noticed before. And what it has to do with is the difference between living in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so my my declaration for today is that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. Keep that in mind. Verse 28, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, the debate about trying to get Jesus arrested. Everybody knew what's up. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And I want to stop here because I've always thought of this particular person as making another attempt to trick Jesus, but perhaps I've been wrong in that. I think this is actually a a question that revealed that he is on, we've been talking about this, a journey to faith, a journey of faith, stepping across the line of faith. I think he was actually on a journey of faith, that this was a true question that he wanted to know the answer to. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replies, and he quotes nearly word for word, Deuteronomy 6, 4. He says this, the most important commandment is this. And now the quote, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then if you know this passage, Jesus backed it up and he overanswered the question and he said, but there's a second commandment too. He goes, The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is key here. Circle in your Bible. If you got the Bible you highlight or, or the digital Bible, whatever, no other commandment is greater than these. The sum of both of them. Love God, love your neighbor. Turn with me now, if you can, I I wish I would have put them on the screen at the same time. I don't think that's possible, but uh, now. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, let me read that, let me see if you catch the difference between the two. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, listen, O Israel, and this is Old Testament, this is prophecy, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Verse 6 says, and, this is almost where Jesus said, and there's a second one. He goes, and, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Let me read the one out of Mark again, verse 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater in Deuteronomy, it says, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands, plural, multiple. In, in this moment, Jesus took what these, these religious leaders, the, the, the teachers of the law, they have been teaching all these commands. They've devoted their life to teaching all these commands, and Jesus did more than just say, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He did this. He took all of their commands. He quoted the scriptures. He took all of their commands and narrowed them down to one. Deuteronomy 6.4.6 6 says, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. In Mark 12, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater. He, he is talking about the new era that has been brought in. You see, we we never lived in it. Uh, almost like the moment that 9/11 happened, 20 years and a couple days ago, or yes, or one day ago. For me, the world changed. Everything changed. Uh, if 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 you remember that time, it was just a different world. We weren't at war. It was peaceful. Uh, it, it was just different. When Jesus came, the whole world changed. It was a catalytic event for the followers of God at that time. And when Jesus came, he, he changed everything. A new era came into place. We call it the New Testament, the New Covenant but things changed. All of a sudden, all those that have been studying the law, not that the law was bad, but the law pointed to Jesus. They just weren't fully aware of that. But all the commands, all the teachings, all pointed to following Jesus, following God. But then when Jesus came, he says, I have fulfilled all of that. Now I wrap up all those commands and I say, love your neighbor As yourself. In fact, if you will love your neighbor as yourself, you won't have any problem with any of the other commands that remain and matter. It it was a new era that was brought in. And the most interesting thing that happened is that the teacher should have been totally offended. The teacher of the law should have thrown up his hands and said, arrest this guy. He just called all the commands null. He just called all the commands as unimportant. But instead, the teacher, he agreed He agreed with the priorities of Jesus. Continue on in Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 32 through 34. It says, the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher, you have spoken truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. So his awareness is growing right there. And then 33, he says, and I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. He just acknowledged the truth of the message of Christ, that a new era has come, a kingdom has come. He goes, this is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. That's the moment that the teacher of religious law and Jesus should have been hauled out of there because they just disrupted their entire process of thought. Their their entire basis of what they know, it was just taken down to the very foundation saying that to love my neighbor as myself, this is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, and this is important, listen to what he said. He goes, you are not far from the kingdom." of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And scripture says after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Basically, it, the, the, the debate dissolved. And, and you have to understand how critical it was that a debate like that could dissolve right after saying that loving your neighbor is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. It's a powerful thing that just happened. And so this man was on a journey to faith. Now, back up with me and go all the way to Mark chapter one. And Mark chapter one, we get this invitation. And so Mark begins basically with the conclusion. And I wanted to give you the context of where this comes from, because we, we see in Mark 12 that Jesus has said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Mark 1, listen to what it says. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way. And so he tells the story about John the Baptist, and he said, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And then skip to verse 14. It says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Now, let me stop right there. Basically, it continues on. He talked about the good news that John the Baptist taught and now Jesus enter the scene, enters the scene, and he says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The New Living Translation gets this right. Some other translations actually will say more closer to uh, God's good news of the kingdom. And it's really semantics, it doesn't change the meaning a whole lot. But there's a big difference between saying uh, where he preached. God's good news of the kingdom versus he preached God's good news. Here's the reason I say this. The original language that was written, uh, you'll see God's, you'll, you'll see it a little bit different later, but right now he is saying he preached God's good. The good news is owned by God. The good news is God's good news. God is not giving you good news He is the good news. What God did in fulfillment of Jesus Christ, that is the good news. And so it's not the good news about God. It is God who is the good news. The gospel, the good news again, the gospel belongs to God. And then verse 15, it says, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. Now, that's where I want to focus on a little bit too. The time promised by God has come. This is not a save the date invitation. This is saying that the time has come. There's two words for time in uh, the original language. We really only have one. Uh, but but they, they would use chronos. You've kind of heard that. That's the order of time. That's just time as it goes. You look at your watch and you're watching chronos. It's happening. You know, it's going. But then there's the word in the, in the Greek. It's called kairos. And kairos is a moment in time. Think about the difference between historical and historic. Uh, Kronos is historical. If I point back to a a moment in time of of me and my car, well, that is a historical piece of time that does not matter, and that's just the historical evolution of time. If I point back to 9-11, that is historic. The time that the scripture is talking about right now is not the time promised by God has come, like there's been this, you know, evolution or maybe the time is at hand. He is saying the time, the kairos, the, the event, the moment has come at last. It is here. And then he says at the rest of the verse, the kingdom of God is near. I often want to think of that as that the kingdom of God God is near, just like some of you are near to me and some of you are further from me. When, when, When he says the kingdom of God is near, it means it is here. Okay, the kingdom of God is not a government rule that will be coming. And sometimes we narrow down the kingdom of God to governments and rulers and and all of that. It's not about governments and rulers. The kingdom of God is about the kingdom of God. God's son has come and given his life for us. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come, and the kingdom of God is near. And there's an invitation stretched out to receive the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God is not, is not still in the order of time that we wait for. The kingdom of God is kairos. It is a moment. It has happened. And the invitation is right there. And so we are waiting. God is waiting with a hand extended that we would receive the invitation into the kingdom of God. Some of us, we have, we have relegated religion, church, to a save the date, that we're preparing for something. We're looking out for something that is near. We study it and we say it's nearer than it was yesterday. No, it's not. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The question is, have you received into the kingdom of God, the outstretched hand? And so it's it's not in terms of a clock. It is physically here. Uh, The kingdom is about transformed lives and hearts, loving our neighbor. The old was love God and obey commands. The new is love God and love others as Jesus Christ loved us. Then it gives two imperatives, and I want to talk about those. Verse 15, the last part of it. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Let me read it all again. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news, the good news of God that belonged in him. And he said, the time promised of God has come. The moment in time has come. The world just changed is what Jesus is saying. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. And that is what changed. The moment is here. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is in reach with a simple invitation that you would repent and believe. And then you get that verse that says to the religious leader, it just simply says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He had Jesus right in front of him. And, and really, the moment for him was kind of there at the resurrection, you know, just a few years away. But in reality, Jesus coming was the event that changed the world for everyone. I go back to that question that, that, that we've asked over the last multiple weeks as as you're on that journey to faith have you stepped over the line of actual faith or, or are you holding in your hand a save the date looking forward to the day are you holding in your hand a save the date thinking that i'm going to be ready when the kingdom of god comes or Are you actively boots on the ground realizing that the kingdom of God has come? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. And if you'll do those two things, you can change the world. Change the world. And then he gives two imperatives. One is to repent and one is to believe. Repent simply means to change your mind, embrace this new way to view the world. That Christ has died for you, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is within reach, and change your mind and turn from your old ways of trying to reach God and turn to the way of reaching God, and that is through him. Loving him with all your heart and loving others as yourself, and then just believe and trust yourself to it, the new covenant. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We don't do this a whole lot, but when we talk about invitation, I want to give you a genuine invitation today that maybe you've never taken the opportunity just to pray to the Lord, Lord, I love you. I believe in you. Claiborne's going to come and and he's going to sing a little bit. And we'll close out with this song. But, but I'm going to be up here, and, uh, and we've got others who are here. Jesse is here. Jesse will be out at his table. And, uh, but, but maybe you need to talk to somebody uh, today. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and say, you know what? It, I'm ready to step across the line of faith and go from just a journey To faith and enter my journey of faith. We'd love to talk with you more about that. And I want to give you that opportunity. And so if you would, if you'd bow your head, close your eyes and Claiborne, if you'd come and, and would you focus on God? And I want to ask you just the simple, simple question. Have you repented? Have you believed? Have you accepted the two imperatives that, that, Mark laid out here, really, that Jesus laid out, that you would repent, change your way of thinking that you can be good enough to get into heaven to a mindset of, I'm not good enough, and I believe in you, Jesus, to wash my sins and to take that away. There's a simple prayer. There's no magical prayer. And it is just simply, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I repent of my old way of thinking. Jesus, I, I, I turn my heart from myself and I give it to you. And I ask you, Lord, I believe in you. And would you save me? that prayer is an indicator of stepping over across the line of faith. And you all of a sudden go from this journey to faith to a journey of faith. So I'd ask that if, uh, if you did pray that prayer or if you wanna pray that prayer, would you be bold enough to come see me or some of the others? Uh, Claiborne will be up here. There's others in this room. Uh, I see Tim here on the front row. He'd love to talk to you. Uh, see Buddy Adams over here on the right. He would love to talk to you. Uh, there's multiple people uh, in this room that would love to share with you the good news. And, uh, but please don't let today go by without maybe stepping across that line. The invitation is an invitation, and you have to receive an invitation. And I think sometimes we just have to stop and say, will you? And so that's what we're asking you today, Resonate, is will you step over that line of faith and settle, settle this struggle that's been in your heart for maybe years. So we're gonna sing as we go. Do not forget about 6.30 tonight. We're gonna have a blast of just a commissioning service and we'll extend the worship that we're doing now. Father, I love you. I thank you for all that you are doing. And Lord, if there is someone here, I pray that you would give them a boldness. As Claiborne closes this out in music, Lord, as we worship you, would you give them the boldness just to speak to somebody. And Lord, to, to acknowledge their choice to finally step across that line and follow you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul Finished The end is written Jesus Christ